0: The running boom of the 70s came during simpler, pre internet times. The unique cast of characters riding that wave came of age. You never knew who would show up, and races became household names, attracting capacity fields year-in and year-out. Co-hosts Ron Galuli, John Gorman, and Grant Whitney, inspired by the first runners' reunion in 2019, speak with some of the characters of the era, share their stories, and where they are today. There's something for everyone in each installment of the Runner's Reunion podcast. Good afternoon. It's another Sunday in April in New England. Uh, Welcome to the latest installment of the Runner's Reunion podcast. We're coming out of our marathon hiatus. Um, We were just realizing among us, before I get to the introduction of our guest, that it's been several weeks since uh, we last had a, a, a recording. And for our devoted listeners, you may recall that at the time there were some negotiations afoot. We were trying to decide. Um, uh, John Gorman was really driving a hard bargain as we were trying to get the broadcast rights for a live stream recording in the marathon. And Ron, Ron was having a tough time negotiating, um, uh, you know, those arrangements. And and Ron, uh, do you want to bring us up to speed on what finally happened? Because I think it somehow had to do with our the hiatus. Things got kind of ugly, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, you know, it's actually a a good thing, because when I was uh, working that day, I was following John, and uh, I think the podcast, live podcast, would have just disrupted his pace, because his splits were amazingly consistent, and he qualified for yet another Boston Marathon. So uh, congratulations, John.
2: Yeah, I think if I had done the podcast, I qualified by 14 seconds, and that would have taken so much energy out of my, with my mouth, you know, if I would have, you know, I've been exhausted. My mouth would have been exhausted with my legs. So I'm happy I didn't do the podcast, but thank you. Thank you. That was, uh, it was a good day. A
1: good Just day. think of all fun. the fans too, that would have been stopping you to get autographs. And this stuff. is true. Yeah.
2: So you know, it's funny. It's the, I knew I was going to be close. It was one of the first years I didn't stop and talk to my family and big hugs and pictures and, I said, you know what? And, and, and I told him, I told them that, and I said, and my son told me, yeah, you know, I had a feeling that was the case, that it was going to be too close to call, and
0: no time to really waste. So, All
2: it was a good move. This year.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. so, so we're on we're on to number twenty three. That's next on the 23 horizon. Twenty
2: three in a row next year, and that will be my thirty fifth Boston. So yeah.
0: Well, there is some marvelous symmetry in the fact that we're coming off the heels of Marathon Day plus six, so to speak. Uh, Because our guest today um, is a well-known New England fixture and somebody uh, for whom the marathon is really one of her calling cards. Um, Just a quick snapshot of our guest today. She has a 3K PR of 9.13, a 5K of 16 minutes, 10K, 3205, ran a 2.29 marathon in 1991 Uh, winning the LA marathon. More significantly, she won Mount Washington, number one, as a New Hampshire girl should. And she is best known, though, in these parts for her 10-mile world record in 89, but more so for being a two-time Olympic marathoner, 1988 in Bloody Hot Seoul, 1992 in Bloody Hot Barcelona. It is a real privilege and pleasure to have New Hampshire's own Kathy O'Brien join us on this installment of the Runners' Reunion podcast. Kathy, thanks for taking the time out of a very busy weekend, I'm told.
3: Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's um, it's an honor to be with you guys. Um, I've known some of you for, for a while, and, and Grant, we've gotten to know each other recently, and um, it's always fun to kind of go back and go down memory lane and just talk about something that has been such an important part of my life for so long. So thank you for having me.
0: Uh, Let's make sure we catch at least in that snapshot. I didn't talk about um, family now. Some people I know are going to want to know. Wait, I remember her from the day. What is she doing now? You are married? And tell us a little bit about the family.
3: Sure, I'm married um, to Mike O'Brien and we've been married for, I guess like, 33 years i married when i was 20 and um and we have two, two sons and we're empty nesters we have um, patrick who just graduated from dartmouth um this past past year and then andy who's a freshman at cornell and so we're just we are keep on rolling at home holding down the fort with our dogs and still do, still running and working and and just you know enjoying enjoying our kids from afar
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, so um, let's begin to kind of set the stage, if, I, if we can, for our guests, or rather not for our guests, but for our audience. Um, Kathy is, you know, came of age literally in the early 80s, uh, and with the height of her career, probably in the late 80s through about mid-1994. But I was struck kind of in, in preparing for all of this, that you were about five years old when Title IX uh, first became law. And so you arguably would be among the kids that women, girls, women, who began to see changes in everything from phys ed to the ability even to start competing in events uh, and sports that might not otherwise have been open to you early on. Can you uh, begin to give us a sense of when you first recall running uh, for anything other than a PE warm up? Uh, you know, uh, kind of experience.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think beyond that, I was, you know, raised by parents who, you know, not the parents of today where the moms were on a team, maybe they competed in college or high school, you know, I was raised by a mom who never did any sports um, and a dad who, um, who, parents were immigrants from Italy and, and, he didn't do sports either so so it the world I grew up in we didn't even really know about I didn't hear about that they didn't watch sports it wasn't part of our life so um when I did I I think I played a little basketball or something but I I I didn't grow up thinking oh what sport am I going to do um but I was very high energy kid and roller skated and you know just rode the bike and did all those sort of things but then um I, there weren't many options for kit for, for girls. And so you know, being on a team was an option in terms of running. But when I was in um, middle school, back then it was called junior high, there were no teams to be a part of. So if you wanted to run, which I, I wanted to, um, you had to run on the high school team. So when I went out for my first um, track team, it was indoor track when I was in seventh grade, I was competing on the high, with the high schoolers. Um, so, but, but I just wasn't, to answer your question, I wasn't aware of anything that it was a noteworthy time. But now when I reflect back and I tell people that I competed in the first um, Olympic trials marathon for women in 1984, I go, wow, that sounds kind of historic. <laughs> um, but even at the time, I didn't realize that it was a big deal. And um, at that time, there wasn't a 10k. And in fact, following the Olympic trials marathon that I competed in as a 16 year old, I competed in the um, exhibition 10,000 meters in Los Angeles um, in 1984 at the um, summer trials, because the 10,000 meters was not a part of the for women, the Olympic games. So that was not, that wasn't an, an event at that point. So it wasn't until 1980, um, 92 or nine eighty eight maybe that the 10,000 meters. So yeah, it, there, it was a time of uh, growth for women, but I didn't really, I wasn't aware of that until after the fact.
0: <laughs> but, but it's, it, but it's great though. You have that perspective now to kind of say, wow, I was, I was in it from the beginning. So were, were you, it sounds like, so you maybe played a little you know basketball or did some things what was it that brought you I mean were you one of those kids that suddenly started running around the block and just decided you liked it or was it was it that's how it worked that's how
1: it started
3: that's how it worked I mean my dad um my dad would run um a little bit and so I think I probably jumped over and ran with him And I just was a high energy kid, you know, we all we've seen those kids, I was one of them, I was always roller skating or riding my unicycle or whatever it was. And, you know, once I started running, and then I don't remember the process of how I got signed up, I don't know. But somehow I managed to, you know, join the track team and you know, I found my place, you know, my off no training I ran a six minute mile in indoor track, and then off you know, a little training in seventh grade um spring track, I ran a five eighteen or something, sixteen hundred. So it was apparent right away that
0: something this was, was going
3: my on event. Yeah. What was <laughs> going on, yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, if, if I recall correctly, there there was a, a couple, Tom and Marsha Dowling, who played a real important yeah. role in, in your early days. Can you give us a little bit of a background on how that uh, started uh, the nature of that relationship, the duration of it, a little bit of you know those steps because it sounds yeah. like they played a really important role in a in yeah. your what might be called non-traditional, at least by today's standard kind of progression. Yeah,
3: so when I first started in seventh grade with the track, um, it the, that guidance and coaching was, was the, whoever was at the school at that time, and um, I don't remember the names of the coaches, but then um, at some point during that time frame, I was at the track doing a workout and this man came up to me, who was turned out to be Tom Dowling, who was an English teacher at the school. And he said to me, If you do some training, you could be, I think he said the word fantabulous, like he combined two words and said fantabulous. And, you know, I always think about that now, if you do the training, because that's sort of the whole, that's the thing, you know, with distance running, it's, if you do the training, it's all about the training and my, you know, what I was taught. And so, well, what happened with what his deal was, was he was this huge Arthur Lydiard. Fan, and he just had an absolute passion for, um, you know, Arthur Lydiard's training. Um, it, he, so what I was exposed to wasn't just, you know, someone who was the coach, local coach at the high school. Um, it was someone who just had an absolute passion for distance running, for a certain type of training it was his, it was his being. And so here I was just this kid who, you know, came from a non-athletic family and, and didn't know anything about training. And he just scooped me up and he was married and his wife was also, I think she was interested in it because of him, but she supported this. Um, I was just scooped up into this sort of training, but he then was also the cross country coach. So it wasn't like, I had, you know, he wasn't a private coach. He was the coach. And I, and I was just sharing this story with my running partner today. Cause I was told telling her, I was going to do this, um, recording with you guys. And I said, it was easy to believe that they knew what they were talking about because the first season that, um, Tom and Marcia coached our team in Dover, New Hampshire, we, became New England champions. So it wasn't just me who was the New England champion and the state state New England champion as an 8th grader competing against high schoolers. It was our whole team. So we we all bought in. I mean, I bought in from a personal level and my family bought in because I went from, you know, just being some kid who had some promise to the New England champion in, you know, 6 months training, but the whole team, we won the New England championship and this was, you know, and and we continued to win until he left. Um, so he had a gift, and he believed in this certain type of training. And um, I to this day believe in that kind of training.
1: Oh, how,
0: how um, you you've you mentioned now a couple times already. You know the the non-athletic family. So you're already standing out uh, as doing something different with all of this energy and 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 all of those things. How did your folks react to suddenly the, this, you know? Person that they didn't know. Yes, he's married, so okay. You don't have to worry about anything, yeah. you know, untoward. But but all of a sudden, did, did they get a sense? Do you think they had a sense of uh, knowing you that they that you had found something that resonated that locked you in, or was it seeing the team, or was it them talking to the Dowlings, or how, how did that all kind of um, I
3: think it was, translate? I think it was the whole thing. I think it was the whole thing. Um, I think it was all the things you mentioned. I mean, um, he Tom Dowling was very charismatic um, mm-hmm. because he was so passionate about running, but he was also very interested in music. And at the time I was a violinist and his favorite composer was, was Fritz Kreisler. So for one of my recitals, um, I played Preludium and Allegro by Fritz Kreisler, which is his, his one of his most famous pieces. Um, So he, you know, my parents were big classical music followers and lovers. So he was just, he was very charismatic. And um, the other thing was, as we all know as parents, um, we all want our kids to do well and find something that occupies time in a positive manner. And, And we all have egos and when our kids are doing well it makes us feel, you know, amazing. And right away I was just doing so you know, off the charts well with my, with my running and the team was doing well. So who were my parents to think this was anything, but just like striking gold or something. (laughs) So I think, I think they just, I think they thought it was wonderful. They were like, how did this happen? This is amazing, you know, really. And it was a journey for them. I mean, they were part of this ride um, that I think when ended was hard for everybody um, because it was a lot of fun.
2: (laughs) John, jump in here. Yeah, so, Kathy,
3: um, I was just thinking about
2: you started off, you know, boom, you know, you're eighth grade, you're, you're like, you know, in the highlights, you know, people are talking about you, you know, you go through, you know, freshman, sophomore, senior years. Were there any valleys that you had? I mean, you had such a great high school career. Were there any times that, you, you know, I don't like if I want to keep doing this or, you know, something is in the way, uh, an event or yeah. injury or you know changing your mind that you don't like running anymore, a lot of people go through it. You know, the high school yeah, kids, yeah. it's a tough tough year, you know, tough 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 uh, time of life, you know, high school. And yeah. they're just kids, you know.
3: Yeah. I mean, I would say in high school somehow I managed to get through with not a lot of that. Um I I was I found my, I found something that I was really good at. And I think it was a different time. I mean, I do reflect, you know, just on what kids face now. And I mean, not to say the obvious thing, but, you know, the social media and the computers and all the stuff that we literally didn't have. We had no distractions. We didn't have to like post the night before a race with our singlet and numbers. And we didn't have, you know, we didn't have to look up and see, oh, this kid ran this yesterday at a meet. And. And so we we were protected from those stre- those horrible stresses. Um, I think I just, oh, I, I mean, I probably wouldn't have had the career I had if I had to go through all that. So um, I was in, because the training really worked for me, um, I was so consistent. I mean, at the time I didn't realize how special it was, but obviously, you know, winning the state and New England meet five times in a row, um, <laughs> it just showed I was being trained, it's, pretty much perfectly. Um, you know, when I raced, I raced well, and I didn't race a lot. That was the one thing, I, they, 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 I never raced indoor track. They thought it was too much. I did a few races during the indoor season, but I never did the full seasons and I didn't do full seasons in spring either. So I think there was a lot of thought and um, as tac- uh, I was gonna say tactics, I don't know if that's the right word, but in terms of how to keep me healthy. So I in terms of health, I never had any injuries in high school. Um, I would say my senior year, I was starting to get a little burnt out. And um, I basically, you know, i had run the Olympic trial, I'd won the, I'd run the Olympic trials, sorry, I'd run the Olympic trials as a 16 year old. I followed with um, my senior year winning the um, nationals, which were the Kinney nationals at that time. And I was, of course was coming off um, just an amazing training buildup and base from the marathon. And I set the Course record at Van Cortlandt Park that still stay is still there, 1643 or something. So I was just in this amazing shape. But after that, pretty much I was I was kind of fried. And um, the only thing I think I raced that year was um, I think I ran that 5K at BC or something. And then I ran Penn relays, the nine, 9. fifteen, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, so I ran a couple races. I squeezed. I eked out a few races. And then I was done. So I I I would say my senior year, I was starting to get a little toasted by the whole thing, but. um,
2: I was gonna ask you, so was your coach more hands off? Like, okay, you know, I got a special girl here. You know, what do I do with someone who's the best? (laughs) You know? My my
3: coach, Tom and Marcia Dowling um, were in New Hampshire, I think up until my sophomore year. So I was coached by them, in eighth grade, ninth grade. And I'm not sure if they left my, I think they left to go to Kansas my sophomore year in Missouri. So then I was coached from a distance, which is even crazier when I think about it, because somehow I managed to keep the training up. So so they coached me. They, um, so, so I don't know if you, any of you guys know Joe Scassatelli, but he's a local coach and he took over the program, but he was willing to let me work with Dowling's. And he, he, he and I are actually really good friends now. I, you know, I, I adore him. And um, he's shared with me a lot of stuff, you know, just because I was a kid, I didn't really know what was going on. But he said like that they all sat down, the Dowlings, my parents and him, and basically said, you know, this is the scoop. This is what needs to happen. And he was willing to let, you know, help, help that happen. So he ran the team um, my sophomore, junior, senior year and supported the program I was doing, but I was coached long distance. I did go to Missouri a couple times um, to visit them like during my breaks, but it was long distance coaching. So I was training by myself a lot. I mean, on the weekends I would go and run with um, some of the UNH guys and I would do my 20, 22. Um, but I was often running by myself because most of the kids on my team weren't running, you know, the kind of mileage I was doing.
0: Yeah. All right, Kathy. Lightning round, something to kind of spice things up from these long, these long questions. High school sure. favorite training shoe.
3: Wow, high school favorite training shoe. Oh yeah, gosh, we're, going no we're going deep.
0: We're going deep here.
3: I was running. I mean, I I was running for this like athletic alliance, and we ran in Converse. So I was running in Converse shoes in high school.
0: Um, Racing that's shoe.
3: The answer to that. Same. Racing I had. Shoe. I mean really nice. They made special converse racing shoes for me.
0: Okay. <laughs> Roughly to give our listeners a sense, what was your average, what was your weekly mileage during that time?
3: I you know I wish I had, I wish I had an answer. I don't know. And I've, I've tried to find out, but I did see an interview my senior year, right? Where, where I said I was running like 90, 90 miles a week. So oh I was running. All I knew, yeah. I know that I was doing 22 mile long runs regularly and 16 mile medium long runs. So I definitely was getting up some high mileage.
0: Wow, because that's usually the, you know, so many times kids crash and burn if they're doing that in high school, you know, that that kind of age, that's really saying. So. I know,
3: I know, but I wasn't racing a lot and I wasn't doing, a, I, I never went on the track. It was so rare that I ever did any track work. I was doing okay. like repeat miles, repeat miles.
0: Okay. Final question, kind of in the high school vein. What is the musical soundtrack that you associate with high school when you think about your running? Is it classical, is it rock, or is it a combination of things?
3: No, I never listened to classical. I don't know why, because I teach it, but I never listened to it. Um, I loved, you know, I loved Journey, and I loved ACDC, and I loved Led Zeppelin, and um, Tom Petty. Um, My sister... My my second oldest sister Julie had just this massive collection of albums in alphabetical order, and you know everybody, Bruce Springsteen. I mean, The Who, you name it. So I had a I had a very I was exposed to a lot of good rock. Um, now, as a kid. would
0: you, would you have um, you know that was the Sony Walkman era? Would you ever run with headphones, or was this kind of in your head as you're running by yourself with no you know nothing popping out of your
3: ears? I, no, I never did, but now I always do. I always huh. listen to music or I listen to a book. Always, always, always. I never don't.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So um, I, I want to quickly tie uh, back with Kenny as you talked about. I mean, talk about a spring, ladies and gentlemen. Think about this for a second. You've had to run a marathon in, in February of 84 to qualify for the marathon trials. You were the youngest participant in those trials. And you ran another marathon in May, so about three months later, three months recovery, on that. Then you followed up, as you said, um, you know, weeks after that, um, uh, with that exhibition, ten k, an event that was not yet going to happen, right? Um, And then, oh, by the way, uh, come cross country, you know, that fall, less than two months away, you um, after your after four uh, races at Kinney, you you know, win the thing. I think, you know, it's very easy to understand where you might have been a little burnt out, either mentally, physically or otherwise. That, that was a busy year yes. by any stretch.
3: Yes. I mean, it's, it's almost like you, a lot of the stuff you did. I, it was like I was programmed. This is what I was going to do. And I did it. And um, honestly, there wasn't a lot of time of reflection until a lot later of like, wow, how did I do that? And, um, what was I thinking? And, and, but it just, you know, it was, I guess I would, I, I just bought into it. It was what I did. I was successful at it. And I don't know. It just, it just happened. And it, I, I at the time I enjoyed it. Um, life was simple back then, I guess.
1: right <laughs> so, so Kathy, um, you know, you, you went from high school and I know you spent a brief time at Oregon, but um, you had somewhat of a non-traditional, I guess, high school and into those college years where you spent a little time at Oregon, didn't really work out. And I think you spent a couple of years in Boston and, um, you know, just happened to bump into Bruce Lehane uh, and then you meet Mike. And, you know, the funny thing is I think back, of Bruce LaHaine, you know, and, and Mike, they have very similar personalities and it seems like they helped you through that transition where there was a little bump in the road at Oregon. Uh, I think you ran actually pretty well, but, um, to your point, there's a lot of expectations at that point from, a uh, as a high school phenom, if you will.
3: Yeah. So I think, um, I think like we, Grant just said, it, I was, you know, I was a little fried and um, going into my college process, it was, you know, like a lot of kids, we have no idea why we're choosing what we're choosing. Um, you know, my coaches really wanted me to go to NC State where Raleigh Geiger was coaching and that was Tom Dowling's roommate at Kent State. So he knew him well and um, and I don't know why I chose Oregon, but I did. And um, it, you know, it wasn't a good fit and it wasn't anyone's fault in, in terms of the coaching staff at Oregon, but it wasn't a good fit because I don't think that um, they, they did know how to coach that style of a runner or that wasn't how athletes were coached. And I sort of felt like I was on my own. I mean, the words might've even been said, I can't remember, but might've even been said, um, keep doing what you're doing. And, um, you know, that's just, that's just too hard. Plus I went from having these amazing coaches and mentors and almost, almost like family and guides that I just 100% believed in to being kind of on my own. And, and it, you know, obviously it just, it wasn't going to work. And that's, and that's why I left.
1: You know, it's funny you mentioned, uh, NC state, because I think now of, of, you know, obviously there's a lot of good coaches now, but out of all the programs that, you know, I've seen Lori Hannes uh, at NC State has done a fabulous job of taking uh, someone like Caitlin Tui in transitioning yeah. her from, you know, this incredible high school career. And I, I know she had a few injuries her freshman year, but she's competing very, very well right now. So it seems like someone like that could have helped you through that transition.
3: No, I think I think you're right. I mean, I don't know what the right mix would have been, but I do think um, what you I, that having having someone who was skilled and and um, understanding and just the right mix where I could feel supported and and um, nurtured and 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 I trusted the training and the whole thing, you know, could have been that the right formula to have kept me and not, you know, made me buy in and feel like this was a safe and healthy place for me. Um, and, um, I can't, oh, and and the fact that she has been able to tr- kind of get Caitlin Toohey back on track, I just kudos to her because that is a hard thing to go from having that kind of success and to, to you know, and, and, and just with the social media and the pressures and the criticisms and all that, and just to be able to get Caitlin back on track and just healthy it's it's really hard so my you know hats off and and you know it could have been that a different program would have been a better fit for me um for sure
2: kathy when did you go from the converse sponsorship to new balance what uh event was it that you know new balance said hey you know who's this and we got to get around boy
3: well i in for the 1988 trials after i had left oregon and um And I, and I, sorry, I didn't get a chance to talk about, um, Bruce Lohane, but I will. Um, I, I had run the, um, 1988 Olympic trials in Converse. And then after that I had connected with New Balance and I honestly don't remember how that happened, but, um, you know, wonderful company as you guys know. So that was basically, that was the company that I, I, um, ran for during my most competitive years.
1: Uh,
0: Kathy, and we do this. Maybe is a segue back to Bruce. Um, I, you know, as you're describing it, you have a brain trust with your, you know, your parents, the Dowlings, and then your high school coach. Five people yes. totally wedded to the idea of you as a person, you as, you know, what's best for you. You make that decision. Yes. You go. You come back and you don't stay in New Hampshire, you then also feel that you have to put some distance, it sounds like, in a way, i.e., move down to Boston, not far away, but still kind of on your own, get get down to. Yeah. Um did you were you aware of it being a um, I'm really trying to find myself kind of period, or I don't know what I want to do now? I'm I'm trying to sort it out, whatever it is. What can you help us kind yeah. of understand your mindset at the oh, time? Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. When I, I, mean, when I left Oregon, I, you know, I remember calling my parents and just saying, I'm coming home. And uh, you know, I think they, they had been watching a lot of this whole running thing that they didn't really relate to, but, but were, you know, supportive. And so they just, okay, you know, trusted to me. And um, of course, that wasn't a good solution because what, what am I going to do now? Um, And Bruce Lehane, I knew because that was one of the colleges I considered going to, you know, I had done a um, one of the official visits, and I really related well to the um, Welch twins, Lisa Brady and Leslie Lehane, and just think there wonderful people i I adore them i mean lisa lives in Newmarket, and we occasionally see each other and have really great talks i just i just really relate to them as people because they were young kind of high school phenoms and just you know shared some of the same struggles of just this kind of crazy this crazy running thing as kids and so they just they kind of were super supportive and and the deal with bruce was when i had um left oregon and and gone to boston um I ran into him, and he. I think at that point I was just visiting Boston, but I ran into him on the Charles River. And I think I think what appealed to be what appealed um, to me about him and, and Mike, as you said, was um, he. I felt humanized by him. You know, I'd been I'd been a runner. I'd been this machine, <clears throat> so to speak, of success as a high school athlete. And I understand why. And I don't fault anyone for <laughs> kind of being on that train because it was so successful. But Bruce really I felt just saw me as a human and, and that's everyone who worked everyone here knows that's who Bruce was. He's, he was just a wonderful person and I needed that and um, and so he, he didn't really care about the running. he didn't he didn't care what I was going to do next. He just wanted me to feel supported and so um, I think it was just it was a, it was an, it was a voice that was really important at that time, you know kind of missing. And and it wasn't that he coached me per se, but he he just he supported me, and and I felt I felt that. Um, And then um, and then shortly after that, I decided to go to New Zealand with a friend, and 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 uh, met my husband Mike O'Brien. He picked me up at the airport, which is another story. But he was there on a training trip. He had you know a lot of friends who Pete Fitzinger, who of course lives in New Zealand, and. um, he had gone to New Zealand with Tommy Ratcliffe and Mick, Mick, Mick O'Shea. So he was there, he was there on a leave of absence from his job. I went there with a friend. We didn't know each other. He picked me up at the airport and the friend and we got to know each other. And, um, and then when I came back from New Zealand, I had the plan to live in Boston. That was my new plan. And um, Mike was living in Boston. And so um, we got together and, um, we became, you know, we got into a relationship and that was hugely grounding for me. Again, another just person who, who just saw me as a human being, you know, he, he obviously knew I was a good runner, but when he and I got together, I wasn't running competitively well anyway, I was just kind of in limbo. Um, But we decided to go back to New Zealand and, and then we got married. And, and I think just the grounding of, I still had the talent. I still had that personality and the hyper, you know, Need to move. Um, I still had the wheels, all that, but I needed to um, have the people in my on my, you know, on my team, who who cared about me just as a person, and that's I think what really got me back on track. So,
0: so during this, you know, call it your time in the wilderness, so to speak, were you <laughs> running? <laughs> Were you running, or was, or, or were, you, did you totally just say, "I'm, I, you know, I need space. I'm, I'm walking away. Uh, I'm not hurt, but i just need to walk away." So, were you running just for the sake of running, or, or yeah, did you just say, "I was Go. running
3: for, I was running for the sake of running." I mean, I that, I couldn't stop that. That was okay. That was so that was ingrained.
0: Of, yeah, that, that, that was, was ingrained. In you. That's always been ingrained. It sounds like it's yes, never really
3: that's left. That's that's I that's something I that's going to be done and no matter what. <laughs>
2: okay, <laughs> to the end.
3: I started doing that too young to stop. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like a duck who needs to be in the water. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's more than brushing your teeth at this point. It's it's way too way too way too much. It's,
3: it's, it's look at my schedule for work, and they say, all right, that's when I'm going to run that day. That's when I'm going to run that day. And that, that's what it is.
0: <laughs> okay well that's that's well i could use that I, I i need to take a lesson from you i'll i'll, I'll do that so so help us now so you you've you know you skipped over or or you know kind of moved very quickly then through this uh, tough period uh referencing bruce referencing mike and would you say that bruce actually ever coached you or was it more the life mentorship or the life humanizing versus commodity? you know the commodity sense that you were kind of feeling um you know, in a fashion, would you, would you have ever described him as a coach?
3: I would say there was was some coaching and and to be honest, I mean, some of the stuff is a little fuzzy as my, (laughs) as my older son has used when he was a little boy trying to recall things, it's a little fuzzy. Um, I think uh, I honestly, looking back, like, because the Dowlings coaching was just so powerful in, in my estimation, it was hard for me to think anybody else coached me like you know oh, skipping man. head you know bob he coached me for a period of time but i still don't really believe anyone coached me because i always was still thinking i have to do my 22 mile long run and i got to do my mm-hmm. 16 mile miles so it was just yeah i mean bruce definitely tried to coach me a little bit and and mm-hmm. i mean i probably got some workouts and i totally not did being disrespectful because he you know he definitely helped me for a period of time but I, it was hard to coach because I really kind of knew what I wanted to do. So it would, but I would say it was hugely supportive, which is mm-hmm. even more important.
0: More important. So, so help, help me, um, I, I get stuck in the chronology a little bit here. So <laughs> um, people had, I think it's fair to say you had been kind of gone for a while. You'd been off the scene for a year or two or you know, 18 months, two years. When did you know you were coming back? um when did you uh because the Dowlings I know I've I've read some coverage where the Dowlings said you know they thought you could be an Olympian and 88 was the time when did you begin to feel like that was back uh the the goal felt fresh again that it was something you wanted to try to do uh and when you felt I don't want to say locked in but began to have all the pieces you were married because let's see so you were well, let's see, you know, you were uh, 20 in 1988. So that's roughly when you, you know, so you and Mike were together and yeah. the trials are right then. Um, yeah. But was it, it was it all it, happened very quick. huh?
3: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I graduated high school in 1985. Yeah. Um, I had gone and returned from Oregon, you know, in 1986. Um, and then I had gone to New Zealand, I think. I think I'd gone to New Zealand um in 1986 probably was when I went to New Zealand for the first time. And then I met Mike and then, um, and then I, and so then he and I had spent the year together, I would say, sorry, I'm getting stuck in the chronology, but the, but um, basically I, like you had mentioned, I never stopped running and I probably was still doing long runs and so um once mike and i started dating which would have been like the year before we i got married which was february 1988 so let's say a year in 1987 once that we started dating i was back running like a ton you know i was i was running i was doing workouts i had mike to run with so i was right back in shape and um in terms of specific races i don't remember but i know that i had to run a race to qualify for the trials um and yes i do it was the i, I ran on the news. i ran a marathon in new zealand to qualify for the trials so i ran a paced run in new zealand with jane welzel and um and my workouts just the year that year were just right back on track so basically the year before the tr- year leading into the trials i knew i i was right back you know i was back down to racing weight i was doing all my mileage i was running with mike i was running you know in new zealand a little bit so i didn't i would i probably expected that i was had a shot to make the team
2: were, were you oh sorry go ahead john now would you think that you know i don't know six months going into the marathon trials that or even the marathon that well, the marathon trials that you would be the favorite one of the favorites top three do you remember that if you were they said well kathy o'brien's running uh, kathy she, yeah, Brian at the time is running. So she's probably going to, you know, she's in a gimme or, or with other I think, people.
3: Yeah, I think, I think because of the the um, 1984 trials, I was definitely a name to watch, so to speak. And because of my um, history of, you know, good, of success, successful running, I, at least I was going to be someone they'd watch but I was a little bit of an unknown because I had had that bump in the road with leaving Oregon and, and really not doing a lot of racing. But at the same time, this women's marathon was pretty young. So it wasn't, you know, it's not like it is today with with all these American women running, you know, 220, sub 225. So it was still pretty young, um, event so that's that's why it was reasonable for people to still consider me not necessarily a favorite by any means but at least someone to watch
0: what in that race and if if i've got my notes right it was margaret uh, gross and nancy deets who were the other yeah. two members of that team what do you remember about that trials race in glorious beautiful new jersey uh, i mean what stands out to you from yeah, wasn't
3: that one in pittsburgh
0: Oh, excuse me. You're right. I'm sorry. You got it. Yeah. Well, you would know better than me. You're right. Yeah. You're right. The yeah. women's, the women's race was in Pittsburgh. The men were in New Jersey. Right. Right.
1: Yeah.
3: I, I, um, honestly, and I wish I remembered more about that race that out of all the races, I remember the least about that one. Um, Interesting. you know, and maybe, hmm. maybe because of just the kind of focus and, and kind of mental shutdown <laughs> to get, you know, to get, to get, to get through that and, and do it successfully. Um, I, I, I don't remember a lot about it. I, I remember just, of course, being elated to come in the top three, but as I sit here, I, I, I can't even conjure up anything about that race. I can remember some about the, the 84 trials and I can remember some about the 92, but I mean, it was obviously a huge relief, so to speak. And, and um, to have kind of made my comeback, you know, because mm-hmm. because, um, you know, not that one is fueled by proving others wrong. And, and no, I never felt people were against me. But, you know, most people probably would have thought that, you know, I was I was washed, I was done. You know, you don't recover from that. So I think that felt really good for to myself to have to prove that I was, you know, I was back and I could kind of write my new chapter. And, um, you know, starting with making Olympic team, you just, you know, no one can ever take that away. So, so I think that was just a huge turning point in my confidence of, you know, when you come back from, from being down in the dumps, you can't, you can't devalue that. You can't, you know, how, how important that is to a human being is, is, is huge, is invaluable. So it was the start of, um, you know, be rebuilding myself and my competitive years.
2: So it's probably good that there was there wasn't the social media that there is today back then.
3: Oh my gosh. I mean think
2: about it. You know, Facebook and
0: you know chats. Let's and, run you know, it. Let's run bulletin boards. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Oh my gosh. It would be I mean, it's even when people are doing well, it's it's people are critical. So yeah, it would have been extremely hard. And I mean, we are all we all can suffer from believing you know, what others say. And especially as a kid, you, it, would have, it would have been really hard to stand up to that kind of um, scrutiny.
0: And, uh, Kathy, um, it, it, it took me to prep for this to realize, here you are somebody, I, I don't think of New Zealand as being hot. I certainly don't think of New Hampshire as being hot. And yet you had yeah. success on an international stage in Seoul, yeah. which was not exactly temperate. And in Barcelona, I was, I was a spectator in barcelona yeah. that was not a fun time by any stretch of the imagination what do you encounter or, or running in hot humid conditions is that an issue is that just one of those things like you said you don't remember the race you just blot it out it's just one of those things that is there but
3: um i mean mike would probably say that i'm very good in heat i mean i even to this day i love running in the heat i mean if it's yeah. nine if it's going to be 90 I, I'd be happy to wait till it's it's the hottest part of the day to run and I think it's part of this warped mentality of just being a distance runner where you just really like to put, suffer and um and so on I mean I loved running Peachtree um or maybe it was that exactly. I was good that, at it. I don't know that was what another one
0: I was going to ask you about that yeah Atlanta as well I just
3: it's, I just really didn't mind I didn't mind the heat I and so maybe it really was physiologically, I was, I was able to do it and nothing to do with the mental challenge, but, um, I never really thought about conditions as being a problem. Um, so it, it didn't, it didn't matter, but that was part of the mental toughness. You kind of had to think that way, you know, it doesn't matter. You just, you know, you just have to do it. And I think that's what probably the best runners do. Cause what so- else can you do? You have to do it.
0: Well, that fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, just to bring us up to speed for for the audience, in 1988, your marathon, your best time that year, was the 2:30, Mm -hmm. and that ushered in another really uh, explosive period for you. The following year, uh, you set a 10 mile world record, 89 in 89, at the Bobby Krim, you know, 10 miler. Um, and so that's 89, 90, you ran your 10 KPR at the Goodwill game. So you're mixing in a little track here. Tell us a little bit about that transition. You know, you're known, I think most people would think of you as marathon roads, but you've had, you've sprinkled in track longer distances on the tracks throughout your career. How? What was the, what's the motivation or the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the variety. What, tell us a little bit about that.
3: Um, yeah. I mean, I think I, you know, I tended to go towards the roads and the, and whatnot. I mean, I probably even did a little cross country, um, because that's how I trained. I, you know, with the Mm -hmm. Dowlings, we didn't do a lot of track. And so I wasn't drawn to running around the track so much, um, in terms of the influences. I mean, I think probably Mike, you know, he definitely liked the track. He knew it was important. Um, maybe someone who was coaching me at the time. I mean, I definitely worked with Bob Seventy for a period of time. He would have valued that, Um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes in terms of my choices, but um, in terms of getting the best out of myself, but I was just, you know, going off instinct of what I like to do and, um, and, and uh, so I, I, you know, I didn't do a lot of track is the answer to be honest, but I am glad and I'm very proud of the Goodwill Games because you know, I, I didn't have a lot of um, experiences running on the track and, and to get um, a silver medal or whatever. Um, you know, that's something I was proud of at the time. So
0: I have to ask about um, 92 and um, mm-hmm. again, Barcelona. Um, yeah. And the trials, and can you tell us what was and and something that's been written about? I guess an you know, with Janet with uh, Janice Klepper, Klecker, excuse me. Um, and can you give us a sense for those who don't know the story what transpired, and perhaps give us an insight as to why you did what you did uh, in, in the trials that year?
3: Yeah, so that was the ninety two trials, and. Um... That was my third olympic trials marathon and um by then i probably was a favorite and, and uh you know felt like a seasoned or narrow confident and um you know had the expectation that i was going to make the team and and um pro- probably was the favorite even um along with my teammate france and the event you're talking about was at a water stop i don't i I don't remember what mile it was. I almost want to say it was 15, but that might be too late into the race, but we, a group, you know, we were running in a pack and we went over to get our waters and France, uh, Janice and I were um, kind of in a line. She was in front of me and I was behind her and as she got hers and I got mine, you know, there was some tripping, um, you know, and I don't even know what happened to be honest. I don't know if, you know, she tripped on me or she tripped on someone else or what happened, but she tripped, but I was really close with, close to her. And I think I probably took a step or two. I don't know. I, I, I could probably look at the footage and see, but I just, I just thought this person is also a favorite and I couldn't imagine keep moving and keep going in that direction when, when she was on the ground and, and I was so close. So I just put the brakes on, stopped, kind of grabbed her and I and I I remember saying in a kind of firm voice you're okay and she she had you know she had been she kind of had a face on of you know distress like she was maybe going to be crying because she probably worried that this was a significant thing that was happening and anyway I, I kind of hoisted her up said you're fine or you're going to be okay or something and then she just got right back into it as did I so it just it just happened really quickly And it made sense at the time (laughs) to do that.
0: Thoughts now um, in retrospect, what might have motivated you to do it? I mean, was it the feeling that she was a favorite too, and you wanted it to be, hey, if you were here, I don't want to have this not be, you know, a real race. Was that, do you think that might've entered it or?
3: Um, I, I think I've always had this sense that, um, to do the, to try to do the right thing, so to speak, when you can, if it's right in front of your face, you know, that it's important. And, um, and, you know, and so that was right in front of my face and I was right there and, and that was the right thing to do. So it just sort of happened. And, and, um, I mean, you want, you want to think anyone would do that. And I think most people would, would do that. It would be a little hard but a marathon you have a lot of time yeah. um janice and I never, janice and i never talked about it to be honest um uh, that was that was interesting um and i did feel a big camaraderie with francie larue who was smith which who was my teammate and um you know she she and i embraced i remember at the end and, I, and she's always you know i've always just really admired her um i don't know why janice and i never said she never said anything about it but
0: no, no, I'm just curious, because I mean, it sounds like yeah. you might very well have kind of gotten her head back, you know, really helped her get her head back yeah. um, in that moment. So it's um, and then if you look at her offspring, you know, they, he made a team, uh, you know, this past yeah. summer.
3: Yeah, that's amazing. That's incredible. You know, something that I know
0: I made the right decision. So and then you look back at Rio and, and Abby Diastino and and the New Zealand runner, too. I mean, you know, similar kinds of uh the real sportsman effort, um, you know, does the sport proud for sure. Um, Let's see, Um, we are, I'm realizing the clock is ticking significantly for us, Ron and John. And so we probably ought to think about, um, you know, moving on as far. I almost think we could do a second one, but we, maybe, maybe we shouldn't. I do have a question as things um, it goes back to Mike. And it's, it's a little less serious and a little less, um, um, I was reading somewhere, <laughs> Kathy, where for three years running, you and Mike won the men's and women's division of the Children's Museum 5K. Yes. And the, uh, for John and Ron's benefit, first prize, both men and women's division, were 10 lobsters apiece. So I would like to understand what kind of shindig uh, you all had um, three years running, apparently. That must have been quite a party.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, that was just one of those treats because, you know, you think about it. Well, what would you rather win? You know, 100 bucks or 200 or well, no, you'd rather win the lobsters because you'd never buy 20 lobsters. Um, So it was it was a hoot. And of course, you know, my parents live nearby and my sisters and anyone else who wanted to come and you know, we'd have, we'd have just a big lobster feast. It was, it was amazing. It was, it was awesome. It was one of the favorite prize purses, I guess.
0: Sounds like a pretty good deal. Um, Yeah. That, that, that really is. Yeah. You, you mentioned Francie LaRue Smith and I I did want to ask, you know you've charted women's marathon. You were the youngest in 84. Um, You know, you ran, you know, 88 and 92. As you think back to those competitive days who um you obviously had peers that you respected because you competed against them but but who were the names of people that you really i don't want to say idols but that you really looked up to
3: i mean one name that stands out um was uh greta Waits. Hmm. I, I mean i didn't know her but i just admired i really liked how she carried herself i, I liked you know she just she just would go do her thing and she'd win and she was just so humble and you know I just always I mean I I wasn't I think I actually did have a picture of her um and maybe had her autograph from one of from like the legs mini marathon okay. um I just I just really I felt she was honorable person um and you know just her relationship with uh, her husband and and the New York City Marathon people. So I didn't know much about her, and I and I still don't. I never, you know, was I, I've, I've met her, but I would say I really admired her. Of course, you know, you couldn't go, you know, goes without saying. I admired um, Joni. I didn't know her well either, but um, you know, just her grit and and passion and and um, success, um, you know, was huge and inspiration to every marathoner of my generation um, you know, very unique and just pioneer and, and, um, did, you know, no, I don't know. It's the things she did before her time, you know, and, and, and under the circumstances, I I don't know if they've been, you know, if anyone's done anything like that since. Um, so I would say those two.
0: so, um, we understand you have a social obligation you need to get to, but if you had your choice of somebody that's on the current, on the stage today, marathon roads, track, who would you like to have it as your guest to sit around with a cup of coffee or or to have a drink with? Is there anybody oh that you'd be interested wow.
3: wow, that's a oh, I would have liked you should I would like to prep for that one. Um, hmm, gosh, that's 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 so interesting. I mean, there's so many, um,
0: you know, I mean, um
3: <laughs>
2: Well, I'm tell you what you think, you know, you think you,
0: about it for a second. Ron's Ron's got another question. Well,
1: you, not a question, but just to add to that. Um uh, my daughter had a chance to meet Molly Seidel over the summer, and she's just been, I think, a great ambassador for the sport. But I also think she trained uh, very similar to you. You I know, mean, a lot of high mileage. Um, so maybe, maybe uh, a sit down with her would uh, mm. would be enjoyable. Yeah. And
3: also, the other thing about her that is you know I that we could talk is she had the history of being a standout high school runner yes she might have won the um foot locker. I'm not I think sure she did. yeah um she even bridged the gap and was an amazing collegiate runner and now she's finding you know she's an uh, the bronze medalist so yeah she would be um she would be someone that I would like to talk to um You know, I follow a few people on social media, like Emily Sisson, I think I would like, I'd like to talk to her. She seems like a sweetheart and (laughs) hard worker. Um, uh, You know, maybe some of the gals who have run Boston, um, you know, like Desland and, But I, I don't honestly follow it so well that I know all the names. Sometimes I have a hard time keeping
0: up. So I'm sure I'm going to like think of people after. But did you I, I do have to ask, um, I think, did you watch the women's race at Boston this year?
3: I did. I, I actually had the day off from um, my school for the first time in, you know, probably since I've been there. And um, I just sat down and watched it. And it was amazing. I, I can't I couldn't believe the, um, the woman who won, who kept pushing and getting ahead and then conceding the lead and usually when you do that once maybe even you're you're done and then when you do it twice you definitely so it was incredible to watch that do you guys think the same
1: oh i it it was yeah it was amazing finish and
0: and and given that it was what the uh her third big win of the year Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh to do it that way, eight lead changes in a mile in that final mile just and,
1: was, and it was the 50th anniversary of, of women. right of yeah. women, yep. Of yep. women yep. being official so, entrance. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So but um <laughs> when you do you guys have any last questions before we we uh you know let Kathy go because we've actually taken more time than we intended. So
2: Kathy, I I always want to know have you ever won a race for, you know when the whole race like men, men too? Is mm-hmm. you ever like
0: Hmm. literally the first person across the line first person across
3: yeah. Yeah. um yeah when it was an all womans race no um i don't think so but i, I, don't, yeah. I don't i don't i don't know it doesn't <laughs> i can't remember that um I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with no that i haven't
2: i think you could have you're like superman you could like punch everybody out but you're just you know you didn't race a lot you know, yeah, you. Yeah, maybe key. in the right
3: race, I could have um, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. wasn't picking those kind of races, I guess. But <laughs>
2: you didn't pick on you didn't pick on the little.
3: Low... <laughs> no, no, I I tried not to. It's not right. it's not it's not as much fun.
2: No, it's true.
0: So um, Kathy, I wanted to see if there was one other theme that you know maybe yeah probably not. Um, what would you say the soundtrack of your your now post career? What's the musical soundtrack of your post career these days? You're still getting out to run. You're spending more time with your music. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah. Um, I mean, I'm. I, I like um, to listen to when I'm running. It. You know. I. I. I recently. You know. I've had the two boys in the house, and so I've been subjected to a lot of. Uh, you know, rap and pop, and um, I don't. I can't say I hate listening to that when I'm running. Um, I like R and B. Um, so. Kind of that type of thing, peppy pop, R and B, you know, stuff like that. I, I'm I'm not and, and some rock, but I'm not gonna lie. But it's light, it's light listening. It's light during the day. I'm doing a lot of classical stuff, so it just you know it's a break from that.
0: A little faster, maybe 144 on your on your uh, on the the <laughs> monitor that the, the loop. Yeah.
1: Yes.
0: Hey, um, well. I want to say, uh, Kathy O'Brien, I want to thank you. I mean, it's been a real pleasure to have a two-time Olympic marathoner, uh, us for a, a hopefully a relaxed uh, conversation uh, about her career, support, and uh, life uh, throughout. And before we sign off, um, uh, Ron, I know there was an announcement that you wanted to make that might be of interest to... Other listeners of the Runners Reunion podcast, and and I don't um, uh, want to lose sight of that.
1: Yeah, great, thank you, Grant and uh, Kathy. It's uh, been a pleasure to have you uh, as a guest on the show. Um, you having have had an incredible career, and you're still still at it. So um, great time having you on the show. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that um, Connor Doyle um one of bobby doyle's sons got in touch with me and mentioned that on june 24th at the guild in pittucket rhode island there is a fundraiser for the bobby doyle foundation and as most of you listeners may know there is a race every summer um down in narragansett rhode island and they do raise uh, money for scholarships that they provide to uh, high school seniors uh for college so yeah worthy cause uh if you're around and uh i think there'll be quite a few. Uh, runners reunion fans at that fundraiser
0: and there you have it the latest installment of the runners reunion podcast it's been a, a great pleasure to have kathy o'brien with us signing off for ron Galooly and john norman i'm grant